Hebrews chapter number 11, starting with verse number 32, it says, And what shall, shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jethro, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, and were slain with the sword. And they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens of caves of the earth. All these, excuse me, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Heavenly Father. We do thank you for this day. Lord, as we come before you now, I pray that you would bound out every distraction. Give us grace. Give us uh, that we stand in need of, Lord. Strength, help us to do your will. Father, hinder the work of the devil. Touch every heart that's in here today. If there's one that's lost, I pray, Lord, that you draw their heart to salvation. Father, I pray that you be glorified today, dear God. Let everything that's said and done bring honor to you. And give us that we stand in need of today. As nothing, is, uh, nothing is worthy, Lord God, if it's not with you in it. Father, we ask it all humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come here finishing up today, uh, Lord willing, the um, series of messages we've been dealing with over the last several months on the mishandling of holy things. Now as we come here to Hebrews chapter number 11, this chapter is commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith there. It gives a list of no less than 19 names. Uh, names that were very familiar to Israel's history, 19 names, uh, that uh, speaking of these names would have been recognized immediately as heroes of the faith there, uh, 19 different names that had uh, done some kind of, of awesome work through the power of God, and Israel was very familiar uh, with each one of these. Now, uh, this was a fitting encouragement because the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians there. These were uh, folks that had gotten saved there, out of Is uh, uh, been saved from Israel there through the ministry, and these were men that faced great persecution, men and women that faced great persecution in the early church age, not only from Rome, but also from uh, the legalistic Jews, uh, the Pharisees and all those uh, that were trying to put people back under the bondage of the law. That They were facing a tremendous amount of persecution that was coming at them. So much so that these Christians, these Jewish Christians, uh, were to the point where they were ready to recant their testimony. And they were ready to get back under the bondage of the law. That They were ready to put themselves back under that law in order to relieve some of the suffering uh, that they were going through. And Paul, by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit there comes with this message and gives them uh, these words of encouragement reminds them of the great heroes of the faith there uh, that faced great danger uh, that faced innumerable armies they faced insurmountable circumstances certain death great discouragement they faced all these things there and he looks at them and as he is closing out this letter here what he is saying is just keep going he is telling them to hold on 
to their faith there to stand strong for that testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He gives them uh, that great history of those Israelite heroes that would not bend, would not bow, would not turn away from God, but stayed firm there. How they were mishandled, how they were dealt with, uh, 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 treated un unfairly, uh, treated very cruelly there. But He told them, just hold on because God has not forgotten about them. The reward that they would get was better than anything this world could have to offer and that there was a need for them to keep pressing on. Now, I want you to notice just a couple things this morning here. Three, three things that were brought about uh, by the mishandling of the, these heroes here. I want you to notice first of all in verses 32 through 35 there, we see the conquest of their faith there. I want you to notice several things this morning. First of all uh, the conquest that they had in battles there, the victory uh, that they had in battles that we see in verses 32 and the first part of 33 there it says, and what shall I more say? The time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms there. He mentioned several names in Israel's history that would have stood out immediately. He talks about Gideon. And he talks about the battle that Gideon was allowed to face there. We know that story there uh, in the book of Judges. Gideon was told uh, to take 300 men. He started out with 30,000. God said, that's too many. Now friends, they were going up against an army of 135,000 Midianites. Alright? 30,000 against 135,000. You're talking about over four times. Over four to one odds there. This isn't good odds. God said, that's too many. Thin them out. Drops it down, they get down to 10,000. God said, that's still too many. Over 13 to 1 odds there. He said it is still too many. If they win, they're going to assume that it was their victory. Thin them out again. And they get down to 300. 300 men that are going up against 135,000 soldiers. And Gideon stands out there with nothing more than a torch and a lantern in his hand there. And God commands him. And they break those lanterns. Chaos is brought out. And victory is won for Israel. He talks about Barak. Who in Judges 4 and verse number 9 goes up against... Uh, the great army that was coming against Israel at that time there. He was dealing with the, uh, the Canaanites there. They had over 900 chariots of iron. Horses and chariots and armor all around them. Iron at that time, something that was so very hard to come across. Israel didn't even have it up to that point. But here they come. And they are facing 900 chariots there. And God sends a storm that sinks them into the mud and those chariots are rendered useless there. He goes on to talk about Samson and those Philistines. Philistines being a type of the flesh in the Bible there. It was something that they had to battle with constantly. An enemy that came against them there. Very powerful. They carried through all the way to the days of David there against Israel. And yet here is Samson and he's got to go against them with just the great strength that God has given him. He talks about Jephthah there. And the battle that he faced with the Amorites. Friends, he could go on and on and on about the wars that they were to fight and how they were outnumbered each and every time. And by man's calculation, they should have lost that thing. But he had told them there that there would be conquest. And here is Paul reminding these Christians they are, again, they're under great persecution, they're ready to quit. They're ready to throw in the towel. They say it's just not worth what we have to suffer for this. And he reminds them of those battles that they face there. How God did not deliver them before the battlefield. 
How God did not spare them from the war. He allowed them to go out and He allowed them to engage and He allowed them to get on that battlefield. Those armies had to be gathered. They had to assemble. They had to come. But there was victory in the battle today. Friends, God doesn't always take away our trials there. God doesn't always make it easy for us. But He gets us through. And He brings us victory through things that, humanly speaking, we should never win with. Why? Because it's a testimony to the glory of God. He reminds them of the conquest of the battles. He reminds them of the conquest of the beast there. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. This is no doubt a testimony of Daniel. This is a reference to Daniel when he is thrown into the lion's den. And he is facing what is certain death. Daniel at the time was about 90 years old. He had been faithful his entire life. He is coming right here to the end of the time there. Uh, this is the time when um, the Medo-Persians were in power and they had come. They had, uh, Daniel had favor with them, uh, but others hated him and they cast him into that lion's den. My friends, here he is, 90 years old. He is, he's thrown down. This is, uh, uh, these lions would be starved. They would be kept hungry so that when someone came in there, they would immediately attack and pounce on these were uh, lions that were tortured and, and fought with, as you see some animals that are tortured today, to make a meaner. And here is Daniel in this lion's den. He is no doubt going to die. There is no hope that he has here. And yet God is still in control of all of it. In Daniel 6... Verses 18 down through verse 22, it said, Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said, Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his his angel and has shut the lion's mouth and they have not hurt me for as much as before me innocence was found in me and also the O king have I done no hurt friends what an amazing thing to think about here Daniel in this lion's den we know the story we're very familiar with it uh, here he is He's been cast in that den there. And the amazing thing about it is, the king who is in his palace has no sleep, and yet Daniel has rest. The king who is in his palace is tossing back and forth and is wondering, is there any way? He comes and immediately after fasting, he says, don't bring me music, don't bring me comfort, don't bring me food. And after fasting, he runs to that lion's den. He said, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you? And Daniel just responds and says, O king, live forever. That means be at peace. What he was saying is, king, I'm fine. There hadn't a single tooth, a single claw. He hadn't even growled at me. God sent his angel to shut the mouth of the lions. We think about Samson also. We think about how he slayed that lion with his bare hand. We think about David when he was just a young teenager. How that lion and that bear came out against those sheep of David there. And as that good shepherd, he protected them. Friends, God was able to bring them conquest in battles. He was able to bring them conquest against the beast there. He was able thirdly this morning to bring them conquest in the blazer. Look at the first part of verse number 34. He said, quench the violence of fire. That is a reference to Daniel chapter 3. 
Very familiar story to anybody that has ever been in Sunday school. You know the story of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The three Hebrew boys who had Nebuchadnezzar set up that statue and said, As soon as you hear the music, you fall down and worship me. They refused to do so. They were brought before the king. The king said, Listen, I like you guys. They were, they were his counsel. He said, you, you, There must have been a misunderstanding. I'm going to give you one more chance. The minute you hear the music, you fall down and you worship me. And they said, Listen, king, there was no misunderstanding. They said, Be it known unto thee, O king. He said, Our God who is able will deliver us. He said, But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. But if not, we will not bow. Friends, I want you to think about the amount of faith that that would have taken for just a minute. Even if God had come to these three Hebrew boys and given them a vision of victory and said, listen, you're going to go through this furnace, but you're going to come out unscathed. Even if He would have said, listen, I'm going to, uh, you're going to face this king, but I'm going to deliver you. That still would have took a great amount of faith. That still would have been something that would have been hard to do to say, alright Lord, I'm trusting you, throw me into the fire. Alright Lord, I know you'll deliver me. I'm going to walk into this furnace and walk out unscathed there. That still would have took a tremendous amount of faith. But they didn't have that vision. They didn't have any inspiration from God. They didn't have any direction or any guarantee. They said, but if not... Even if God doesn't deliver me, I'm still not going to bow before a statue. Friends, how many of us, if we're honest, when trials come, we are ready to quit? How many of us have gotten out of church or gotten away from God because God has been unfair to us? Things didn't work out the way we wanted it to. It didn't go as easy as we had planned on it. And it, uh, so-and-so hurt my feelings and it just didn't go right, friends. Here they were, they were standing at the mouth of that furnace. They said, even if He doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to quit. Oh, friends, we need some more like that today. Amen. They were willing to stand in the middle of that furnace. It was so hot, the Bible tells us they heated it seven times. That means they got it as hot as they could possibly get it. It was so hot that in walking those three Hebrew servants up there, that the servants of Nebuchadnezzar were burned up before they ever got to the mouth of the flame, of the furnace there. And yet they still would not turn around and back down. And yet when they went in there, we read the account of those three Hebrew boys. They went in bound. They were chained when they went in. But yet when God put them in the midst of the fire, they were free. And Nebuchadnezzar said, wait, something's not right. And he leaned up from that throne. And he looked in, he said, behold, he said, we threw three men bound. He said, but I see a fourth. Amen. And the fourth is like the Son of God. Friends, what an amazing testimony of conquest there. There is no battle that God is not able to bring victory to. There is no circumstance that God is not creator, conqueror, and sovereign over. There is nothing we face today that God does not know about and has not already made a way of deliverance if we will just Trust Him. You say, Preacher, have you ever failed God? Many times over. More times than I'd want to admit. You say, Preacher, have you ever doubted God? Many times over. More times than I'd want to admit. The fact of the matter is, we serve a God. Lord Jesus Christ, who is sovereign over every circumstance, over every situation, over every diagnosis, over every financial burden. Over every hardship, over every family problem, He is sovereign. He is in control. There is nothing 
that is outside of the reach of God. His timing is not our timing. Friends, I could imagine if I was one of those Hebrew boys. If I was Daniel... My prayer would be, God, I pray that You wouldn't let me go into that lion's den. Lord, I pray that that fire would be put out before I have to go in there. But God had other plans. And that testimony, that trial that they faced later on became a testimony that would encourage those Jews there, those Hebrews, not to quit on Jesus, not to go back under the law. He said, listen, what you had before was just a shadow of what you have now. What you would go back to doesn't even compare to what God has already given you. And the suffering is just for a short time. Amen. fact of the matter is, there may be somebody here today saying, preacher, I'm discouraged. I'm disheartened. I want to quit. I want to go back. I'm tired of of struggling. It's unfair. But friends, the honest truth is what you would go back to, what this world has to offer, doesn't even compare to what Christ wants to give you. And the Bible says in Romans 8, in verse number 18, For I reckon, the word reckon means he's convinced, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. They're not even worthy to be put side by side with what God has for you today. They don't even come close to what God wants to give you. That's an amazing thought today. You say, preacher, you don't know what I'm struggling with. Friends, I'd be hard-pressed to believe you're facing the lions, Dan. I'd be hard-pressed to believe that you're getting ready to be thrown into a fiery furnace. I'm not downplaying your trials. I know what it's like when you're looking at a stack of bills and you're looking at a paycheck and, and, and it's just not adding up. I know what you're looking at when your health, uh, that, that health report isn't what you want it to be. I know what it's like when your family isn't where you want them to be with God and you know if they were to die right now, they'd spend eternity in hell. I know what that's like. But God is still on the throne today. And He has never failed. He is looking at these Hebrews and He's saying, don't quit. Don't back down. Don't go back to what this world has to offer. It's not worth it. He not only talks about the conquest and battles, and the conquest of beasts and of the blades there, but he talks about the conquest over the blade there. Look at the second part of verse 34. It says, Quench the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. I think about two people, and we'll, we'll close with this this morning. Two accounts in the Old Testament of men. Now, there have been many who have escaped the edge of the sword there, but two accounts stand out the most. I think about Elijah. Old Elijah there, I love, we know the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. He comes there and by the direction of God, he goes and he gets. He says, you go get every one of those prophets of Baal, you go get every one of those uh, false prophets there, 850 totally, he said, you get every one of them. And you get them to meet me on the top of Mount Carmel. We're going to have a showdown once for all and we're going to find out who the one true God is. And they bring out all those prophets and they cut themselves and they cry and they call out and nothing happens that sacrifice. And here comes old Elijah and he says, a praise to the one true God. Fire comes down, consumes that thing. We know that story, boy, it's encouraging. But directly after that, there's a woman by the name of Jezebel. And she's the one who employed all these prophets. And she tells, she makes this statement. I want to read it for you. In 1 Kings, chapter number 19, and verse number 2, she makes this statement. Then Jezebel sent a message unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life 
as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Remember, those prophets, those false prophets of Baal had been killed right there on Mount Carmel. They had been killed there for being false prophets. They had broken the political law. She sends a message to Elijah. She said, you may think you have gotten the victory, but you better understand something. By this time tomorrow, I'll do the same thing to you that you've done to them. Could you imagine that here? This is a woman who is very powerful. This is the queen at the time. This is a woman who had uh, the unlimited resources of Israel, the power of the throne there. Uh, Ahab was nothing more than a puppet. It was Jezebel uh, that led things. And here she is. And she said, tomorrow by this time, you'll be dead if I got it. If I have anything to do with it, you'll be dead by this time. Old Elijah, no doubt, that would have shaken him a little bit. Here's a man who has been hiding out. He's been living by the provision of God. Widows have fed him. And he's been ducking and and, and running there from uh, the authorities, so to speak. Here's a man that is looking and now all of Israel is after him. You say, preacher, what happened? Jezebel didn't get to put a single hand on Elijah. God delivered him and he cast her down from the tower. Friends, what I'm telling you is God is still in control. The world can threaten and huff all they want to, but unless God allows it, They're not going to put a hand on us. I think about Satan and uh, Job there uh, where Satan comes where he says, uh, God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, hey, he only praises you because you've blessed him. God said, alright Satan, you can touch him, but don't take his life. God drew a line in the sand and said, Satan, you can go this far and no further. What an amazing thought to think about. That that same God that took care of Job and the same God that took care of Elijah and the same God that took care of Daniel and Sadrach and Meshach and Abednego is the same God who takes care of us. Hebrews 13 and verse number 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, you may be sitting down today and you may be discouraged. You say, preacher, my job is getting ready to shut down. You may be looking and saying, preacher, I, I just went to the doctor last week. And that health report is not what it's supposed to be. Preacher, I'm sitting here and I'm watching my kids go run buck wild and there's nothing I can do about it. They're grown and I can't stop them. Friends, understand something. God is still in control today. Amen. You may be looking around you may be saying, Preacher, this world is just in bad shape and I don't know how we're going to make it. Friends, let me encourage you. Turn to the end of the book and read the back. We win. We win. God doesn't fail us. We win. Anything this world has to offer doesn't compare to what God wants to give you. Anything this world can promise pales in comparison to what God offers. But that doesn't mean there won't be trials. That doesn't mean there won't be testings. That doesn't mean there won't be hardships. You say, preacher, why? Because a faith that can't be trusted, excuse me, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. We're supposed to be soldiers getting out on a battlefield. No soldier goes to war without first going through boot camp. There's a time of learning. There's a time of trial. God has called us to stand in this time of battle. Friends, just as these men here in Hebrews 11 were a testimony to those Jewish Christians, they were a testimony of triumph to those Jewish Christians. So our life right now 
is a testimony to somebody around us. You say, preacher, who's watching me? You hear those voices right back there? You hear those little kids right back there? Somebody's grandkids, great-grandkids, our kids. Don't ever let them see you turn away from God. Don't ever let them see you quit on God. Don't ever let them see you walk away and look to the world for help when God is all we need. They need us to stand today and to be what we would be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in our strength, because guess what? It's not enough. Not in our ability, guess what? It's not enough. But in God's. They need us today. question is, will you stand? I saw us stand this morning, heads bowed, and eyes closed.